Expose. It's been the most awesome hour of television ever. It's like Baywatch, only better. We've got Autumn and Crystal, two strippers that solve crimes with the help of their suave, smooth-talking club owner, Mr. Lashad. How'd I miss that one? Check it out. Who the cast list? Nikki Fernandez. That's got to be what she was in Australia. This must have been a big break. Oh, it certainly sounds like it. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 314, entitled Expose. This is the 63rd hour of the series, and there are 58 to go. And with that, let's head straight into the Wikipedia summary for the episode. The flashbacks begin with Nikki Fernandez acting in a popular Charlie's Angels-like TV show, Expose, which is filmed in Sydney, and she is a guest star. She's also having an affair with the septuagenarian executive producer Howard L. Zuckerman, who is very wealthy, while Paolo works as his chef. Paolo kills Zuckerman by poisoning his food, and the couple steals his diamonds, which are worth $8 million. The couple plan on returning to the United States on Oceanic Flight 815 encountering Boone Carlisle and Shannon Rutherford at the airport. Upon surviving the plane crash, Nikki and Paolo realize that they have lost the bag with the diamonds. Nikki consults Dr. Leslie Arts, who tells her of a spider with the ability to paralyze people. He also gives her a trajectory map, which leads them to the Pearl and the Nigerian plane. They explore neither. When Kate mentions that she found luggage from the plane in a lake, Paolo finds the diamonds, but does not tell Nikki. Instead, he hides them in the toilet in the Pearl and overhears a conversation between Juliet and Ben. The two accidentally leave behind a walkie-talkie that Paolo takes. Later, when Saeed, Locke, Desmond, Nikki, and Paolo visit the Pearl, Paolo retrieves the diamonds by pretending to use the bathroom. Nikki figures out that Paolo has the diamonds without telling her and decides to lure him into a trap. When he de- uh, denies that he has the diamonds, she unleashes one of the paralyzing spiders on him. She finds the diamonds, and Paolo apologizes, claiming that he did so, that she would not end the relationship. As Nikki stands in a state of regret, the faint sounds of the monster can be heard, and the pheromones of the female spider attract a group of male spiders of the same species, and she is bitten on the leg. Nikki buries the diamonds and sprints to the beach. On the beach... With flashbacks now over, Nikki then runs onto the beach before collapsing, where Hurley and Sawyer are playing ping pong. As they rush to her, she says something barely audible. She is soon pronounced dead. Hurley and Sawyer try to recount what Nikki said before she died and come to the conclusion that she said, Paolo lies, although she actually said, paralyzed. Sawyer and Hurley begin an investigation and find Paolo lying lifeless in the jungle. Sawyer finds a walkie-talkie with in Nikki and Paolo's tent and concludes that they were working with the others due to their similarity. Hurley does not think that the others are near camp, but Sun reminds him that she was abducted nearby, unaware that it was Charlie who grabbed her. Sawyer tries to calm them down and says he will do a perimeter sweep. Meanwhile, Charlie, who feels guilty, confesses to Sun that it was he who attempted to kidnap her. Sawyer returns, having found the diamonds, 
and the others accuse him of being the killer because Desmond saw him arguing with Nikki just that morning. He gives the diamonds to Sun, but she later confronts him about kidnapping her and returns the diamonds because they're worthless here. The survivors then hold a funeral for Nikki and Paolo, where Sawyer pours the pouch of diamonds onto the grave. Nikki's eyelids open just as Hurley and Sawyer are filling the grave, burying her and Paolo alive. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. This is, in all seriousness, a fantastic episode. A fantastic standalone episode, which I think does carry with it, you know, if you say standalone, it has a slight asterisk of most of the great episodes of Lost are, um, you know, part of the overall story. But this is a fine, wonderful, fun, dark, thrilling episode uh, with uh, certainly not just the aforementioned end, you know, they're buried alive, but I think also um, a bit of a tweak on us as as, uh, as audience members. But I know that this is considered one of the most polarizing episodes, and many people think that it's not very good or it's filler. If you ask me, which is why you're here, it's a fantastic episode. Absolutely top-notch, and uh, let's jump right in. Uh, I certainly was happy to see a cold opening, uh, and given that it's one that includes a sweaty tank top clad Nikki bending over, not too bad. She starts to dig, and then we're in flashback where, dun dun dun, apparently she's a stripper. It, of course, quickly turns silly. The show starts to tip its hand early. Uh, Billy D. Williams is there hamming it up, and uh, also the Giacchino music also pushes the cheese of it all. Uh, she, at least her stripper character, is shot in foreshadowing, and the scene ends. And uh, as a side note, uh, side note, Billy D. Williams is playing, as it turns out, Billy D. Williams. Uh, after that, there's some cute dialogue about it being a series wrap for her, hardy har har, and how some excuse could be made to bring her back next season, hardy har har. Uh, and indeed, in that, there's a really impressive tracking shot from uh, her set out to the, uh, to the soundstage, uh, outside the soundstage, into the quote-unquote pier that overlooks Sydney Harbor. That they've walked to a green screen outside the soundstage to make Sydney Harbor appear, uh, in my mind, actually makes it all the more impressive. Uh, and indeed, the flashback ends kind of with a nice echo of, uh, you know, no pun intended, of course, uh, an echo of Hurley and Sawyer playing ping pong, just as Nikki steps out of the jungle, looking apparently winded, and uh, Sawyer takes a peek out into the jungle to try and sense uh, what she's running from. However, what are you doing? Get moving. Dude. Nikki's dead. That's Nikki. We head to the title card, uh, with certainly that darkly amusing uh, opening. And uh, after the title card, we're in flashback. We're told that it's 84 days ago. And we get a sense of the whole story being settled tonight. Which is a good thing, too, since we've just seen Nikki, you know, die. Or at least apparently so. Uh, in flashback, she's eating uh, dinner with her TV director and lover, who I prefer to call Old Beardy. And indeed, Old Beardy has himself a new chef, and it's Gasp Paolo. Now, I wonder, do, do first-time viewers sniff the con at this point? 
Certainly the frivolity of the episode is apparent. Old Beardy calls Paolo the Wolfgang Puck of Brazil, which of course is a take on Rodrigo Santoro's reputation as the Tom Cruise of Brazil. Now, leading up to Old Beardy's heart attack, there's some nice foreshadowing of him grabbing his uh, grabbing his left arm in the scenes that uh, you know, not the scenes, but in the you know thirty seconds or so that leads up to it. Uh, then he dies, and it's clear that the two are a conning uh, and and a killing team. And for what? Well, we don't see yet. There's kind of the interesting story device here to uh, you know prevent us from seeing those diamonds. Flashback over, Nikki's still dead, and our heroes, Son, Sawyer, Charlie, and Hurley, are trying to solve the mystery. And of course, who saves the day? Where'd you find it? Right here. They stumbled out of the jungle, face planted, said something like plywood, and sorry on. Actually, I think she said power lines. Who the hell knows what she said? She was five seconds from dying. She's probably seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Paolo lies! That's what she said. Paolo lies, not power lines. Paolo lies. Who the hell's Paolo? Paolo's her husband or, or boyfriend or whatever. They live down the beach. Well, where the hell is he? Because if he lies, that might be a good place to start. You know, we're at an interesting crossroad at this point. Uh, they need to get rid of these characters. And, you know, these are characters that profoundly did not work and they, they were hated in their time. I think on kind of, you know, on our rewatch, they're a little less offensive just because, you know, you're only one click away or one DVD away from the next episode. But the, the, the interesting crossroads here is that the show is tasked with spending an episode to get rid of them, uh, something that could have failed and I know some people do think uh, is a failure, but to me, it just it just works. At any rate, uh, we move to flashback, where Paolo is reading Old Beardy's obit, and uh, apparently they're in the clear. And kind of on this notion of how are you going to make an episode special with characters that we don't like, and we heard they're going to kill off, and it's obvious, at least insofar as you think Nikki is dead at this point, uh, it's obvious that they will be killed off. How are you going to make the, uh, the episode special in any way? And it's at this point where the episode does indeed make it very special. There's nowhere to sit. No tables, no chairs, nothing. Good call, Boone. Do you want me to just grab a chair from the restaurant? No, forget it. Let's just leave. You already screwed us out of seats in first class. Why would you be able to find them here? Hey, can I have this chair, please? Yeah. Be my guest. Boone, let's just go. Thanks, anyway. Boone! I'm coming, Shannon. If you quit flirting with random guys, maybe we could actually get on the plane. Promise me we'll never end up like them. As always, it's great to see uh, Ian Summerholder and Maggie Grace back on the show. Uh, just, you know, not only is it a plot point used in the next scene, but I think in terms of looking at the series as a whole, as I do here, it's a little kind of coal that's kept burning. Something, you know, always reminding us that these are beloved characters who, uh, in many ways, were killed off too soon. And, you know, it's, it's a little thread, it's a little coal that the show can uh, return to in its final episodes. It's also nice, too, that little bit there at the end, you know, Nikki saying, let's never end up like that. Well, oops. <laughs> um, 
as I think would be obvious enough, Shannon, uh, obvious from a, from a production point of view, airport Shannon is in her crash day costume, uh, which is very fitting as the next scene is her iconic screaming at the crash from the pilot episode. Uh, new footage is intercut. Nikki is in the wreckage. Again, it's kind of an odd pairing here. We love and fear this scene. It's the great first hook of the show. And now it's kind of sort of been Forrest Gumped. You know, there we are in the, the, the famous crash scene. And it's, you know, finding ways to insert Nikki and Paolo. It does work, though. Uh, she's looking for Paolo and finds Arts, another uh, returning actor that, that makes the, the episode special. Uh, then Boone bumps into her as he's looking for those tracheotomy pens. We do learn, though, to hate Nikki bit by bit. She finds a bloody Paolo having survived the crash and immediately asks him where the bag is. Essentially, she's looking for her bag o' goodies amidst chaos and death. And now at this point, we ironically cut to Island Paolo dead. Get it? Having just survived the crash, now he's dead, or at least apparently so. Any of these references to them being dead before the end, it's obviously with that, that asterisk. This is a darkly silly episode or a, you know, silly dark episode, but it certainly has this unique voice, you know, to literally go from I just survived this awful, terrible thing to he's dead. With that, we head to an act break, uh, then some wondering as to who did what. Jin suggests it was the monster, which, as it'll turn out, is a rather wise suggestion. With that, we cut to flashback where they're discussing having heard the monster that first night. Uh, there's some side dialogue about how Nikki is still looking uh, for her for her pack, for her bag. Uh, when who arrives? It's friendly old Ethan. Because this is the bring them on back episode. Guest stars galore. He's incognito as a survivor wearing a Wisconsin sweatshirt. Um... At this point, the slow, sick deliciousness of this episode is really starting to grow. Uh, Though, we then kind of go back the other way a bit. We return to the gumping of the episode as Nikki and Paolo and Arts are cut into the Live Together Dialone speech. Uh, Flashback over, dead Nikki and Paolo were brought to the graveyard whilst still supposing that the monster did it. At least our, our heroes do. Uh, they decide that they want to know more about the two, then decide to go uh, visit their tent. At this point, the episode is creaking just a tad from kind of this island investigation B-plot. Uh, with that, we had the flashback. It's Nikki flirting it up with Arts. She looks particularly yummy in this scene as well. Uh, and Arts is cataloging the 22 or so new species uh, that he's found, as well as some old ones, such as the Medusa spider, who can send out pheromones to all the males. Hint, hint. He, of course, is very happy to stop that, to help the buxom blonde. Uh, they get a map from Art's trajectory, where the bag could be, all this. Uh, they wander about for that bag search. Uh, the bag, of course, or at least the contents of that, that, that little, little bag, uh, that's the MacGuffin of the episode, to say the least. A uh, reminder, of course, that a MacGuffin is a plot device where the thing itself is not that important, but people imbue an importance on it, uh, and thus 
the plot kind of folds around people wanting this thing. They might say, hey, $8 million worth of uh, diamonds, that's not a minor thing. Well, it is in this island where they're absolutely useless, right? That's why, you know, the grand irony of this episode is Nikki wants to find these diamonds that are, that have the same role as pebbles on this island, which of course speaks to her greed and, uh, and whatnot. I suppose on the flip side too, it does give her a little, a little, uh, it speaks to her sense of hope that she's going to get off this island and, um, that that darn it, these are going to be important when she does get off the island. At any rate, as part of the search, they come across Echo's plane, and Paolo refuses to go up it, as it might fall. Hardy har har. Uh, cutely, they also discover the pearl, but they won't go down into it. With this, the flashback is over, and our heroes are searching Nikki and Paolo's tent area. Uh, the expose script reveals Nikki to be an actress on the show, as well as some uh, continued show poking fun and a theory. No way. Mr. Bashad was the Cobra? Is that supposed to mean something? Dude, the Cobra's this big bad guy. His identity's been shrouded in mystery for four seasons. They had a walkie talkie? Every damn one of those bastards on the other side of the island had one exactly like this hanging from their belts. So how did Nikki and Paolo get one? I'll tell you how. They were working with the others. Now, if you ask me, that little hook there, which ends the act, I really just had a sense that they were just finding an excuse to end the act. There has to be some sort of juicy thing that they find where we go, oh, no. Um, and that's kind of the story of the whole the whole mini subplot here of the walkie-talkie, uh, at least in this episode. That's kind of the extent of it. You know, it's just... It's just the... Um, uh, you know, it's, it's an excuse for Paolo to see Ben and Juliet, to get them in the episode and all that. But anyhow, after the break... We have a slightly shoehorned scene. Shannon Arts, Nikki, uh, did I say Shannon twice? Shannon Arts, Nikki, Paolo, Kate, and Boone are all talking about the gun case. Certainly it's a bit of an excuse to use your guest cast all in one scene. Obviously minus uh, William Mapother's Ethan Rom here. Um, So kind of an excuse to use them all at once. Uh, although it does kind of propel Paolo to finding Nikki's case but not telling her in order to test her love. Flashback over. There's some cute dialogue about the others being far away. But, asks Sun, then who attacked her if they are so far away? The two, of course, who were in on it, Sawyer and Charlie, at this point exchange guilty glances. Hmm, I wonder who's going to feel all the more guilty by the uh, end of the episode. Back to flashback. We certainly zip in this episode back and forth, back and forth. So back in flashback, Paolo has his nicotine gum, and he's burying the Russian doll with that mystery MacGuffin worth $8 million. Locke gives him some advice about the beach eroding and picking a hiding spot that won't erode, which leads us to the pearl. Convenient, as it's got the giant pearl on it to tell us, to, to remind us where we're at. 
this point, the episodes start to come together a bit as Paolo sneaks into the bathroom, hiding the doll there. Hey, we saw him coming out of the bathroom a while ago in that episode where we first went to the Pearl. Uh, with that, it turns out that Paolo is not alone in the Pearl. That him? Shepard? Yes. He's cute. Why are we doing this? Shepard will never agree to do the surgery. No, I can convince him to do it. How? Same way I get anybody to do anything. I find out what he's emotionally invested in, and I exploit it. So what? We just grab all three of them, Ford and Austin, too? No, they need to come to us. And how do we make that happen? Michael, of course. Are we done here? This place gives me the creeps. What's the effect of this scene? I mean, aside from it kind of being a little bit of an interesting backstory, some context, uh, part of the anthology nature of the episode, but the effect on Paolo is that we only now hate him more, knowing that our heroes had a chance at knowing the score ahead of time, and twas apathy that killed the beast. The scene does show us, though, that it's uh, how the others, uh, how, how the others' walkie-talkie ended up in uh, Nikki and Paolo's hands. Uh, that issue that so vexes Sawyer. Uh, flashback over. Hurley hits up Desmond for superpowers insight, of which Des has none. But the show needing an act break, I think. Desmond offers that he saw Nikki yelling at Sawyer. When? Shortly before she died. Act break introduced and the, uh, then concluded. We're at the graveyard where Vincent pulls the blanket off the B-O-D-Y-S-S, a cheap, dark laugh the first time you see it, and obviously a hint as to them not being completely dead, if you've seen the episode previously. Uh, with that, Hurley steps away, and the episode turns kind of oddly heartfelt. Son? Who is me? What? It was me who took you, not the others. It wasn't myself. After luck hit me, he humiliated me. Sawyer told me I could get even by helping him steal the guns. We just made it look like the others. I didn't mean to hurt you. certainly is great to see Charlie come clean. A needed thing, of course, since he's slowly setting things straight with his maker as he marches slowly and closer, slowly closer to death. I don't know that that is necessarily his motivation as a character, but certainly I think, I don't know, having this notion that, you know what, your time is ending, that's, that's as good a time as any to set things straight. With that, we uh, flash back to Locke inviting others to the Pearl, Old footage. Nikki and Paolo wanted to come. Old footage. Paolo in the bathroom uh, getting the diamonds. New footage. And returning to the hatch proper. Old footage. 
It's a cute little aha scene to kind of spell it out for you to answer that mystery. Back in the graveyard, Sawyer is confronted about his Nikki fight, and he denies it. Uh, though he puts two and two together that she was digging a hole to hide. What Sawyer has found! We see that it's a bag of ice. The diamond variety. Sawyer declares his innocence. And apparently that's shocking enough to end the act. After the act break, Nikki and Paolo share a quiet bit of reflection on the beach about not finding the bag of diamonds. He proposes it was best for their relationship and she agrees until he leaves and she finds his nicotine gum. She then goes to Sawyer to get a gun and we see Desmond watching. It's all coming full circle. Except the central mystery which hasn't been solved. Who did it? Who killed him? Naturally, we've already been told in kind of classic TV mystery fashion, perhaps a la expose, specifically that the baddie has already been suggested. The baddie is in our midst. Flashback ends, and grave-digging Sawyer must atone for his role in Sun's kidnapping. There's a great little line from Sun. She's not telling Jin because then we'd have to dig another grave. She also returns the diamonds, worthless here, and gives Sawyer a nice right hook to boot. Then at this point, we have another funeral for a friend, or two. Well, not really friends, of course, but... Nikki and Paolo, I guess we didn't really know you very well. And it appears you killed each other for diamonds. But I know there are good parts to you, too. You're always nice to me. And you remember the camp. And I really loved Expose. Okay, then. Goodbye. Wait. At this point, Sawyer scatters those hard-won diamonds over their not-quite-dead bodies. Kind of a, certainly a fitting monument to them. Rest in peace, Nikki and Paolo. With that, we head towards the final flashback, which we are told starts eight hours ago. That's where Nikki confronts Paolo over the diamonds, and it does not work out too well. You wanted to stop looking for the bag because you'd already found it. I know you have them, Paolo, so where are they? Calm down, okay? What the hell is that? Are you out of your mind? You remember Dr. Art's friend. Did it bite you? Does it hurt? He told me why they call it the Medusa spider. Want to know why? What did you do? Because one look from Medusa would turn anyone to stone. Just like one bite from the spider will paralyze you. For uh, about eight hours. It won't kill you. It'll just slow your heart rate down to the point where even a doctor would have a hard time. Hearing it beat. You won't be able to move a muscle, so I'll be able to do all sorts of nasty things to you. And since it bit you on your neck, I'd say paralysis will happen fast. Uh, 
I'm guessing that you have the diamonds on you. Huh? In a shoe, maybe? I think I know where. It's a deliciously villainous performance that she gives. Just absolutely wonderful. It's amazing, too, that we've hated these characters uh, kind of on their own merits. And then now in this episode, we've learned to love to hate Nikki. And adding to the deliciousness is, is this warning that she mentions. The bite will last eight hours in this flashback from eight hours ago. And we're starting to dawn as to Paolo not being really dead. Uh, but, of course, he has his broken heart to share while they're being watched by our other suspect for this island mystery. I was afraid of losing you. If you found the diamonds, you wouldn't need me anymore. They, of course, kind of both pause here, looking around, kind of half hearing the sound. Uh, this, of course, the male spider start to appear. Or is it the monster, of course? Certainly an issue for debate. Crawling up over Nikki. Nikki, at this point, gets bit. And we start to head towards uh, what we saw from the beginning of the episode. Uh, we'll end up with Nikki digging desperately trying to, to get rid of those diamonds for her eight-hour paralyzation that's ahead of her. Uh, the franticness of the episode is now back. We see her after digging. She then is going to end up running into Sawyer and Hurley and, of course, collapsing. This time, though, uh, we see what she says. It's not Paolo uh, lies, okay? but instead, having fallen down, we will learn that she says paralyzed. Ah, grim irony. With that, we cut to Nikki being buried, the funeral over. We see shovels and dirt, and Nikki's eyes open as the dirt continues to fall on her and Paolo. The scene is shown with quick cuts, I think uh, reminiscent of the shower scene from Psycho, which works out well since much of Giacchino's music in this episode is absolutely reminiscent of Bernard Herman. With that, thus we see the end of Nikki and Paolo. Killed by our heroes. Why? Because we as the audience demanded it. Just as our heroes do the deed, they've also been killed by us. So again, I really do look at this as just a great, great standalone episode. Uh, it's got a fantastic uh, mystery to it. It's fun. Uh, it, it's bringing some of the best elements of the show in terms of really having a sense of humor. Uh, I, I think that at the end, we're left wondering if we, you know, we got what we wanted. Did we really want them to die? Now, I'm sure you're going to say, oh, well, it wasn't worth keeping them around. Agreed. But to see 
you know, they were able to, the show was able to give 110% uh, in this episode of those two characters to really give them a, a you know, a, a sense of who they are. And boy, I mean, it's it's a fun episode. It's great. Um, perhaps there's a bit of a deus ex machina ending with Nikki being bit by the, the smoke monster uh, in the form of those spiders. But you know what? You know. It's not the first time we've seen the smoke monster go after somebody who has a questionable background. Um, just, it, you know, it's just a really satisfying episode. And not just satisfying for the obvious reason that we all hate Nikki and Paolo. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's a uniquely constructed episode. And yeah, there's these creaky moments where they're shoehorning them in into uh, the live together, die alone speech and whatnot. Fine. But it's, it's, it's. A well-constructed drama. Certainly is a very different episode. Uh, it's taking a, a very unpredictable pace in that, you know, essentially they're both presumed dead uh, so early on in the episode, and then they're not. And then who kills them? I mean, Hurley and Sawyer kill two people whose greatest crime on the island is, you know, their greatest crime are, you know, being jerks. Just... A lot of fun. And I really, I love that the show turns the the pointed finger back to us. You wanted them dead. We're going to bury them alive. And, you know, you can love it or hate it. But uh, great, great stuff. Great, great stuff. Anyhow, I you know, the, the side note being there's a bit less to it. So a bit, you know, a bit uh, shorter of a, of a podcast. But luckily we have the peak at Lostpedia to help us out. Lostpedia says this. Even though they're the featured characters in this episode, the only dialogue that Nikki and Paolo have is, uh, is in their flashback, excepting Nikki's last words, which are also shown in flashback. Uh, of this episode, Carlton Q says this, I think that the one episode that was polarizing was Expose, the Nikki and Paolo episode, which we loved, and in that case, there were definitely fans, particularly ones who treated the show really reverentially, they couldn't stand it, and they hated it. So there was a bit of a sense of division on that episode because we totally dug it and we loved it. But it was definitely an episode where we sort of broke the fourth wall in the sense that we acknowledged that the audience hated Nikki and Paolo. We sort of incorporated that as an element in the show. Some people felt like that was too intrusive. That's the episode I think uh, is the most polarizing, says Cuse. And I mean, you know what? Look. You're not helping yourself to treat this show with, you know, super high reverence, right? There are there are, there are times that this show falters, and the Nikki and Paolo experiment certainly is one of those points. So let them have a little, you know, it, it's a slightly campy episode, uh, but to me, it's just, you know, some of these episodes, right? We look into the the darkness of the heart of man. In other episodes, you know, it's Hurley being a goof. Um, in this episode, it's somewhere in between. It's it's this kind of Hitchcockian thing of these two, Nikki and Paolo, they get what they want, which happens to be the wrong thing in the wrong place at the wrong time, and then they both pay for it. They pay for their lies and their greed, uh, and, and then they pay for it in a big way with totally... You know, totally, uh, essentially innocent. I know Sawyer is not an innocent person, you know, but 
you know, we're, we like him though he's not innocent, but with in, people innocent of their murder murdering them. Fantastic little twist. Very, very cute. Uh, just, you know, a fun episode. Really, really fun. Uh, anyhow, I guess with that, I mean, that, that's all that can be said about it. There, there really is there's not much substance to the fun, particularly since so much of it is... Uh, and maybe that's... Well, let me finish the first thought, which is that perhaps the reason that some people really do not like this episode is that there isn't much substance. Part of it is the the elan and panache and uh you know presentation of this episode as look now we shall fully integrate these people back to the day of the crash and back to the airport uh you know which admittedly does not tell you much about island mystery or any sort of mystery it's just it's it's kind of existing for its own you know as as q said its own kind of fourth wall storytelling exercise but a fun exercise nonetheless i suppose that'll be the final word indeed let's look ahead next week episode 315 the kate episode entitled left behind like share feedback and say hello on twitter looking back lost leave a message on the listener line 732-707-1815 send an email to looking back at lost at gmail.com or check out the webpage looking back at lost.podbean.com so, thank you everyone for listening. It's always great fun to get together, especially uh, you know, a little bit more fun this week, a little bit less uh, the drama of it all. So, thank you everybody. Uh, take care. Talk to you next week. And bye-bye. Bye bye.